Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 724. Driving a Type 35 around local Southern California roads, it really, it really informs one's opinion of the state of the current motorist. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, John Bothwell. Hey, John, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Oh, I'm ready. All right. I know you're always ready because you're tooling around in some pretty special cars. John Bothwell is the director at Persang in Piranha, Argentina, where he and his talented team manufacture historic sports cars. Persang builds over 20 cars a year in over 25 different models, including Alfa Romeo and Mercedes, with the most popular being the Bugatti Type 35B race car. Those cars won over a 1,000 races back in their day. Persang was founded decades ago by Jorge Anadon. He's a master restorer with a fascination for Bugatti. He copied a Type 35 while restoring one and began making authentic reproductions. Persang replicates all of the original manufacturing methods from the 20s and 30s to exacting hand craftsmanship, and their automobiles are truly works of art. You most likely see John on Jay Leno's Garage, and Jay owns a couple Persang built cars as well. So, John, I have told our listeners just a tiny bit about you and your fantastic business. Would you share a little bit more about that company and, of course, your passion for automobiles? Well, well, gee, Mark, I'll say just right off the bat that that was a really good rendition of of what I do and who we are, and uh, maybe you ought to come and work for us. Uh, you know what? <laughs> I would be thrilled to come and work for you guys. I can't imagine the fun that you have every day being in these cars. And I'll, before we, you answer my first question here, I'll tell our listeners in our pre-show chat, John was telling me about going to the grocery store in his Type 35. I mean, oh my gosh, you are having some fun, buddy. <laughs> yeah, well... You know, I I look at this uh, passion. Sometimes it feels like a more of a disease, but you know, this <laughs> this all-consuming interest in cars has been with me from the cradle. I'm afraid, so yeah. it's something I'm never going to get rid of. And <laughs> being born into a car family, things with uh, you know four four wheels and uh, wood spoke wheels rather, and uh, outside shift levers and steering wheels on the wrong side have have always been something that has you know caught my fancy even even since I was a, a little kid nothing has changed the only thing that's changed is that i've gotten bigger and the cars that keep me entertained have gotten more expensive but per saying has has been something that's fit nicely into my life as a way to continue a passion i've had since i was young and i think that a lot of people who are who are my age i'm 35 years old and i think a lot of people who who similarly have a passion for pre-war cars are increasingly in need of a way to access them and to enjoy them per saying to me is the perfect conduit for that because it it gives us younger guys a chance to get in to the hobby in a way that would otherwise, in many respects, be unavailable to us. Absolutely. And I'll let our listeners know, I mean, these automobiles you're building, 
They're not inexpensive, but when you compare them to the original cars, which cost millions and millions and sometimes 10 plus million dollars, that's what makes these a little bit more accessible. But more interestingly is the process because we've all heard of kit cars, replica cars, which are fine in what they do. But what you guys are doing is something completely different, right? Well, it is. And one of the biggest challenges that we face, that I face, uh, being a talking head for the company most of the time is, is exactly what do you call them? Mm-hmm. Because, uh, you know, in our pre-chat, you were telling me about the Persang Type 35 you saw up in Carmel, and then the owner came out to address the crowd that had assembled around <laughs> it, and everybody yes. wants to know, well, is it, is it the real thing? And then, you know, to answer that question, it's like, well, how much time do you have? Yes. Because, no, it's it's not really, no, it's not a kit car, and it's not even really a replica, and it's also not an original car, but... You know, is it the real thing? I don't know. That's a very interesting question. I still let that sort of uh, churn around in my mind. I'm, I'm not so sure that it's not the real thing. But right. what what is it that's the real thing with an old car? You get into a, a very philosophical question. Even restorers are faced with this. You know, when you're yes. bringing something back from a pile of bits and what makes a real car a real car, I guess it doesn't matter for our sake because being that it's 100% new, we know exactly what it is, which is a complete, authentic, 100% down to the last nut and bolt, precise tool room copy of the genuine article built exactly like the original cars were built. So it's indistinguishable. And, And what you call that is something I'm not sure if there's ever going to be a word for that that can be uh, sufficient to do it justice, but it's definitely something in a category of its own. Well, here's a word that I call them awesome because that's what they... (laughs) That's what they are. And having seen that one uh, several years ago in Carmel, looking at it and then talking with the owner and then watching him drive off in it, absolutely brilliant. And we're going to learn a lot more about you. We're going to learn a lot more about Persang. But first, as we continue on this remarkable journey, I always like to start by asking my guests for a success quote. This is some kind of saying that's been instrumental in forming your life and your success and your passion. And it's a nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars. Yeah. So, John? Take the wheel. Well, okay. A quote that I actually like to use a lot is driving is hard because (laughs) it's something I I counter a lot. Some people might accuse me of having road rage. I don't think that's the case, though. But driving a Type 35 around local Southern California roads, it it really informs one's opinion of the state of the current motorist life today because in a modern car where they've got everything at their fingertips and all this modern technology, it never ceases to amaze me sort of and how poorly most people still drive. Mm-hmm. And uh, in, a, in a car that has design features from the late 1920s, how well it seemingly outperforms new cars and, and their drivers. It's a funny little hashtag I've developed that goes out on a lot of social media, you know, that, you know driving is hard. And <laughs> the fact that so many people today are so disconnected from to me, what driving is all about, which is a visceral experience and being connected to the machine and having a, a kind of analog experience. It seems that the newer we get and the more high tech we get, kind of the dumber we get as consumers and drivers. And so it's it's a little bit of a cynical tagline to, mm-hmm. to tell you, but to be honest, it's one that I happen to use a lot. And a lot of my friends and I joke around when we go driving together about it. Well, I think for those of us who enjoy driving and enjoy driving old cars, it makes a world of sense. I just got back from Visiting uh, Southern California, Orange County, San Diego is one of a kind of a milestone birthday for my mother. And driving down there, I live in a small town here in the Pacific Northwest. Oh my gosh, it's just crazy. I mean, so many cars, so many people inattentive. 
And it's it's been raining a little bit down there for you guys, so people are clueless in the rain in Southern California because they don't, oh, yeah. they don't know what's going on and crashes all over the place. I understand completely. Whenever I've had old cars that I've gotten in, whether it's old vintage race cars or street cars, you have to kind of put your mind in a different place. Not only be acutely aware of what you're doing, which you and I do when we drive anyway, because we're car guys and we know how to drive. At least we, we think we do. <laughs> I'll speak for myself in that case, because the cars you're driving, you do have to know how to drive. But yeah, you have to also be aware that these other people are completely blind to what you what you are. Right. I like that. Driving is hard. Very nice. Well, let's go back in time a little bit. I knew you grew up in a, or I know you grew up in a car family. So I'd love for you to share a story that instigated your passion for cars. Is there a pivotal moment when you think back when you realize that you indeed were going to be a car guy, just like your parents? I don't know if there was a pivotal moment. It's one of these things that it was always just so much a part of 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 my life and everything around me. It was just always that way. Living in Southern California, it's funny because um, we really don't have severe elements here when winter comes around. And when I grew up, had a wood-burning fireplace in our house. And my dad always loved to use any excuse of mildly chilly weather to take a Model T truck and to take me with him. And we'd go and we'd find the place that was the farthest away from our house <laughs> that sold firewood. And we'd load it up with firewood. And there was this justification to my mother that, well, we've got to do it. I mean, we've got to heat the house. Right. So we'd, we'd take the, the 24TT truck and we'd you know drive for three hours to some place on side streets and, and load up half a quart of firewood and come home. And it was it was funny, you know, as I got older, because I realized, you know, we, we've got these stacks and stacks of firewood in the backyard that we don't use, but anything to justify taking an old car out <laughs> to do something fun with. Yeah. And that was, that was kind of commonplace. And on holidays and special occasions, you know, the whole family would get together, there'd be, you know, a, a string of old cars, and it was just always understood that there would be a pre-dinner drive, and so we'd have, you know, a dozen or so old cars, and everybody would be, you know, a few people in each car and kind of tootle around the area, so it, it it's just always something that, you know, cars have, have always been in the background, whether it's the, the artwork hanging in the house when we're growing up, or sort of what the family vacations are oriented around, or what the weekend activities consist of there there's always just been a reverence for cars that you know was never discussed but always very clear and real well you're very fortunate because a lot of my guests grew up in families where nobody was interested in cars and it was just them and nobody understood this affliction they had for old cars and enjoying cars and so forth so uh, you're a very fortunate young man well, I would agree. I would agree. I'm, I feel very fortunate. <laughs> well, and to be as young as you are and be working in a, the incredible type of company you're working in, again, living the dream. You figured out the secret sauce to life. So very, very cool. Well, John, what I want to do is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and talk about a big challenge or even a big failure that you faced along the way. We all run into these things, but the most important part is what did it teach you and what did you learn? So take us to that time, that point in time, and tell us how that experience helped you you gain even more momentum in your career and in your life? Well, I can think of a few different stories, and they all actually literally have to do with driving down the road. Personally, delivering all of our cars means that I've been all over the world. And during one trip, I was in Dubai, and the customer had taken delivery of his Bugatti, but he'd never run it. And it was sort of a, um, a stressful scenario because I was there alone, and I was expected to make the car run, which in its own right is, is nothing that stresses me out because it's it's something that's sort of old hat. But the car wouldn't start. 
and there was quite a crowd of this fellow who is a, a very well-known, you know, he's somebody uh, who's known internationally, whose name everybody would recognize. But, you know, suffice it to say, I was I was in the company of, of him and all of his people, and uh, all eyes were on me, and, and it wouldn't start. And, oh, gosh. Uh, oh, my gosh. Can't imagine. You know, which is very rare for our cars, because mm-hmm. they're really well-tuned, and they, they run really well, well-built, and all that. And so I'm, you know, I'm checking out everything, you know, checking spark, checking fuel, all this stuff, and it was just a crazy experience because it was like nothing added up. Nothing was making sense. I took the spark plugs out. I'm working in a, you know, I've, I've got on like formal clothes, not expecting that I need to be working on a car. And I was taking spark plugs out. I was in the dark. And in the course of putting one of the spark plugs back in, I broke the tip off of it. And, oh, you know, no. I didn't have any tools. I was using somebody else's tools and it was just all very precarious. And it's kind of a strange spark plug. And we're in the middle of the desert in Dubai. And <laughs> yeah. It's not that at the local Napa store. Yeah, exactly. So the first weird thing that happened is that this van randomly just kind of came down the road. There's this Russian guy in the van and he said, what's going on? I said, oh, I need spark plugs. I don't have any. He's like, I might have, I might have one. Well, he opens up his van that's just full of all this crap in the back and rolling around in the floor is a spark plug and he hands it to me. It's the exact same one. It's like, what are the odds? No and then the way. guy takes off. And so I have a spark plug, I put a spark plug in and I still can't get, I still can't figure it out. And so I, I start to kind of think out of the box a little bit. And long story short, what was happening is that the fuel density, I guess, all over the world is different. I've Mm -hmm. I've since learned this. And in Dubai, gasoline is different than gasoline in Argentina. And so the float was registering at a different level in the carburetor with the gasoline from Dubai. And that meant that it wasn't making contact with the needle valve at the same time interval that, that it should have been. And I went through the guy's junk drawer. I found a washer. I took the needle valve out. I shimmed it down. And then the car ran flawlessly. And it, it was it was just a bizarre way to begin a trip. And then the, the other half of the story is that the trip ended by way of doing a um, video shoot on this just awesome mountain road called Jebel J outside of Dubai. It's the most incredible windy road I've ever been on. And we did shooting all day with guys from Drive, Chris Harris was there, now one of the presenters of Top Gear, and really, really pushed the car really hard, and I was proud of the car. And at about dusk, we wrapped, and it was a three-hour drive back to the city. So I'm driving the car, we're going back to the city, and I'm in an entourage of all the other cars that have been part of this photo shoot. So there's a Porsche 918, there was um, uh, some kind of Ferrari, there was, uh, I mean, go down the list of all these supercars, wow. I mean, don't get me wrong, I don't know anything about supercars, so I'll just say right now, there's about <laughs> six of them, and I don't know what they were, but they were fast. Yeah. And I was at the end of the trail, these guys didn't have any consideration, you know, for what I was driving, but they thought it would be kind of funny to see, like, how fast I'd be able to go without having to fall back. And I had the pedal on the floor of that thing. It was dark. I couldn't see the gauges. And I later learned I was doing about a 120 miles an hour oh. for about 90 minutes. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Anyway, it was it was just a fun experience because these guys thought that, you know, I would be completely lost in the dust. And then, as it turned out, I, I was able to, to stay caught up with them. And when we got to the destination, all these guys were giving me hugs and high fives and stuff. <laughs> and they couldn't believe the car. And then, and then we took it to the F1 track in Bahrain a couple of days after that. So it was a trip where it goes to show that when you think you know everything about a car or a about the startup procedure or whatever. Sure. There's always something else to learn, you know, and then, you know, the car was, was running fantastically and then we really pushed it to its limits and it really made us proud. So I guess that was so. a fun experience. <laughs> oh my gosh, that was an exciting experience. It, 
For the listeners out there, think about this for a moment. The Type 35 was built when the Ford Model T was around, right? Right. And that car, the Ford Model T, had a maybe a top speed of 40. I, I'm guessing maybe. 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 Yeah, on a good day downhill with a tailwind. You're talking about a Type 35 that would do 130, 140 on a racetrack? Is that right? Yeah, you know, yeah. if you really push it, uh-huh. I mean, one, 120, 130, but, and to do that while handling in a way that is comparable to like a Porsche Boxster, I mean, right. it's no question that it's a car that was still being raced well into the 1950s. I mean, just hugely ahead of its time. Right. But yeah, to yeah. speak to your point, for it to be able to be doing what it was doing when mm. the Ford Model T was in its heyday is remarkable. It's beyond remarkable. So I just want to give a little context there for those listeners that may not have a lot of experience or knowledge about the Type 30. Bugatti. I mean, winning, as I mentioned in the opening, over a thousand races. The thing raced for decades. They're still being raced today, of course, in vintage races. I've got a local buddy friend here who has one. It's just, ah, they're so, they're just jewels. They're just jewels. So thanks for taking us on that. I'm sure for a while there, you were just sweating bullets like, oh my gosh, this guy invited all of his friends and we got a camera crew here and we can't get the car to run. So, oh my goodness. It was stressful, but, you know, it all worked out. And it's always something simple. Dealing with these old cars, yeah. there's not a lot of complexities. You've just got to stop and, and think yeah. sort of the way that uh, the, the people who built them thought. And then, you know, the ideas come. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, let's shift gears and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share what I call a career aha moment when those old headlights kind of illuminate a new way through the desert, in this case, for you. And tell us the steps you took to turn that aha moment into a success. Well, I mean, in that in that particular moment, if that's what you're asking about, I think that it, it was something that redeemed itself by way of the car's performance. Mm-hmm. And uh, frankly, I had never until that point pushed a car at over 100 miles an hour for like, you know, 90 minutes straight. And at the same time, I didn't have any reason to doubt it, but I just kind of felt like, well, I'm going all in. And it was really the car that vindicated itself. And it was the car that impressed everybody in the end, because I, I think... Part of the intrigue of this story is that, you know, when we're talking about the Middle East for for listeners who've maybe not been there, there is not a vintage car culture there to to speak of. Mm-hmm. It's it's very much a new, shiny supercar culture and there's there's not a lot of familiarity with nostalgic things that are more than thirty years old in general. And so when you have this thing that's a complete anomaly to these people who all own brand new Ferraris and Porsches and stuff, they're not really knowing what it is and they're looking at it suspiciously to begin with. And <laughs> then when, you know, the guy that sold the car is there and he's getting his suit dirty because he's taking a carburetor apart in the driveway and it's just this whole awkward thing and by the end of it all the car is going down the highway in Dubai with a train of other supercars just just booking it and not missing a beat and not having any trouble keeping up with a car that was designed recently that marks the most uh, advanced recent automotive technology. And here's this this little boat tail open wheel car that's just keeping up right up with the big dogs. So I think the aha moment was for the people there that that weren't really familiar with, with this. They didn't have a mental category already for what old cars mean. And I think that it, it made a big impact by the end in, in oh, terms of how it turned everything around. No doubt. No doubt. Wow. Brilliant. Well, how about proudest career moment? I would assume you've had many, but is there one that stands out you could share with us? Um, 
Well, you know, yeah, actually, uh, it was another road trip I did this last summer where I, I drove my Persang Type 35 across the U.S. and didn't really know what to expect. And I, I prepared for the worst, packed all kinds of stuff, extra tires, tools, parts, and the car didn't need anything. And it just kept going. And I changed plugs once, did a couple oil changes. But other than that, it was a completely uneventful drive for 4,300 miles. And I think that that, that was definitely a moment of, of feeling real good about where we're at as a company and where our products are at. I can't even imagine 4,500 miles in one of these vehicles. And again, for listeners who aren't real familiar with what he's talking about, I'll have a picture on the show notes page for John. You can see, of course, you can go and Google per saying P-U-R, second word is S-A-N-G, Bugatti, and you'll see what we're talking about. And you'll go, he drove 4,500 miles in that? Oh, my gosh. That's just, I can't imagine. I'm sure we could do a whole show just on that trip alone and the type of people (laughs) that you met and the experiences. But yeah, that's definitely something to be proud of. Well, let's have a little bit of fun here and go back in time again. What was your first really special car? And could you share a memory about that vehicle? Well, my first really special car, I'm not really sure how to qualify that. I mean, probably it would be a Model T that I own. And it's a uh, 1923 Roadster. And it's special to me because it's been in my family since new. And mm. I'm effectively the second owner of it. Wow. And that's, uh, that's a really cool car. And it's just a Model T on one hand. But, you know, the fact that it's a two-owner, one-family car, to me, every time I'm around it, I, I just imagine, you know, all the different memories that have been made in it and, and all the different things that have happened. And that's, mm-hmm. that's a lot of fun. Uh, a lot of times when you buy cars, especially a car like a Model T, people don't really keep history files on them. So I've, I've got you know, I don't know, half a dozen Model Ts of various types because I just think they're fun. And, you know, I I have no idea who previous owners were and and what was being done with them in the 1920s and 30s when they were new and what they were being used for. I I don't have any idea. Whereas with this car, my Roadster, I know exactly what was being done with it. And it's just really cool to to still be around it and still be able to use it. Oh, my gosh. I can't imagine. My, My grandfather passed away. My father gave me one of his wallets. Now, my grandfather was a farmer, so he kept everything. Farmers don't throw anything away. Right. And it was one of his very first wallets. And my dad said, open it up. And I opened it and there was a registration card in there from Texas where my grandfather lived. And he said, read it. And it said, registration, it was 24 cents to register your car. It was the car that he had. And on it, it said Ford. And I looked at my dad and I said, well, what kind of Ford was it? And he said, at that time, there was only one Ford Model Mm -hmm. T. That was it. So there was no. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So a really fantastic little memento since I'm into cars and my grandfather was really a cowboy. He was into raising cattle and wheat, so he wasn't into cars. They were just utilitarian. Sure. Yeah. Kind of a special little thing when you think back to the original Ford Model T. But wow, that's really spectacular to have the second owner and put a family owned car for that long. Very cool. Definitely you are a car guy. How about the car that got away? Is there one that you've owned that you let go that you really wish you had back? I've never sold a car, and so I don't have <laughs> I don't have that regret. But I'll I'll tell you that I felt like I've let cars get away in the sense that they're cars that I could have bought and that I was going to buy, but for whatever reason I didn't, and then I really regretted it. And that happened to me. I think it was last year at Amelia Island at the auctions, there was a Stanley steamer that sold for like 40 grand. It was no reserve. And I love steam. I love steam cars, but I don't have one yet. And 
it would have just been the perfect car. It was unrestored, but it was running. A friend of mine put it in the auction, and just for I, I got busy talking to somebody, and the thing sold, and then I realized, and I thought, oh my god, oh, this no. would have been the perfect buy-in, you yeah. know, because you know Stanleys and steam cars in general are pretty pricey. You know, yes. they're usually up you know, hundred grand plus, and you know, for forty grand, having a, a an entrance point into that world and something that could be kind of a project would have just been perfect. So that still sort of uh, hurts to this day. Oh, <laughs> uh, I'm sorry to bring. Well, you and Jay Leno, he loves steam, so uh, yeah, you could have hung out with him and uh, restored a car, but uh, well. Someday there'll be another one. I always say that when you miss an opportunity, maybe you missed a bullet or dodged a bullet. So you never really know. But I'll leave you with that thought. It might make you feel a little bit better. <laughs> I hope. But oh, well, well, let's talk a little bit about today and tomorrow. And per saying, I would love for you to explain a little bit more about the process, all the different kinds of cars that, that the company builds. What has you excited and fired up today about the company? You know, we're not doing anything differently per se. It's not like there's a new product rollout that I'm excited about. I think I'm more excited about how the posture towards what we do is is increasingly moving in a very positive direction. And by that, I mean that we've been able, as I said at the beginning of the show, we've been able to act as a conduit to help get people interested in this stuff who would have otherwise not been able to experience it. And so what I'm excited about right now is the fact that most of our clientele are pretty young. I mean, we're not talking the the typical classic car buyer with, with gray hair and whatnot. I mean, no offense to those guys. But what's cool is that most of our buyers are the guys who are under 40, who are successful, who can afford a new Ferrari, but instead they're buying one of these and thereby it's with every sale, one more guy who's become a convert and who's gotten that bug, got bitten by that bug mm. for this pre-war stuff, for the visceral driving experience, for the analog versus the digital driving experience. And that is something I'm really excited about because it, to me, is is now serving as a way to bring new blood into this hobby and into this interest. And for something that's as important as it is to me, I, of course, always worry about like, well, what is the future of our hobby? Right. And now seeing this, I'm not the only young guy that goes to car shows anymore that goes to these rallies and that's that's really meaningful to me. Absolutely. Now the car the different cars that per saying builds we've talked a lot about the Bugatti Type 35 but what are some of the other vehicles that you guys have produced? Well, we we do several Bugattis actually. The 35s are one of, you know, over half a dozen models, but we also do Alfa Romeos. The Alphas are in the 8C version exclusively starting with the Monza and then doing the MM cars. We do the 29 cars as well in a couple different wheelbase versions and then we do uh the 308 Monoposto. So, you know, some pretty serious stuff. And the only one that would be loosely comparable to a Bugatti would be like the Monza, but even then it was it was you know, light years ahead of, of the Bugatti that was pretty archaic by the, the early 1930s from an, an engineering standpoint. Sure. Now, the other thing, too, I want to let our listeners know, the exacting standards in which these automobiles are built, they're done exactly like they were back in the day. You do sand castings for parts. Is that right? That's right. We have our own foundry on site. In fact, we do everything on site at our factory. So we make our own patterns. We pour our own castings. We do our own machine work. We do our own fitting, engine building, etc. So yes, it's, it's all in-house, including sand casting. Wow. It's just spectacular. And there's a lot of videos out there for the company that you can access and find. I'll put some links to a few of those up on John's show notes page here at Cars Yeah on the website because I'd encourage you to check them out. He's been on Jay Leno's Garage. You can watch Jay drive uh, these cars. He's got a couple of them. Uh, just uh, 
they're magical. I mean, you're just bringing back magic in my impression. I just, uh, <laughs> it's like somebody squeezing my chest talking about it because having experienced the car and loving these old cars and realizing that, uh, to buy a real type 35 is unobtainium money for most mere mortals like me. And even though your cars are expensive, they're, they're not, at that level. And when you buy a car like that, you can actually go out and drive it and enjoy it because not too many people are going to park a five, $10 million car in the corner and go in and have coffee. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Very nice. Well, here's a very introspective question for you, John. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be and why? Oh, wow. That is introspective. That's <laughs> like uh, being on the therapist couch kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, it's uh, time for therapy here at Cars. Yeah. <laughs> what kind of car would I be? Boy, that's a great question. Yeah, I, I, you know, not to not to be uh, monotonous about this, but the Model T kind of has a special meaning to me just because of how otherworldly it was when mm-hmm. it was made. I mean, it was a car that that did stuff that other cars couldn't really do at that point, and it it really it really broke the mold in a lot of different ways. And yeah, I, I don't know. There's something about that from a personality standpoint where you know, just kind of you know, blazing new trails, doing new things without needing to be the sort of ostentatious, expensive, you know, luxury Rolls Royce or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. That sounds about right. That makes sense to me. Absolutely. Well, John, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsors. Do you know the best way to protect your vehicle, both the exterior and the interior, is with a car cover? I've been using Covercraft car covers since 1975. That's right. 1975. It's a fast, easy, and inexpensive way to keep your vehicle looking new. Covercraft has been manufacturing premium quality exterior and interior covers for over 50 years with a stellar reputation for durability and design. They're the world's largest manufacturer of custom patterned vehicle covers that are crafted to fit over 80,000 patterns and growing. They are the only cover I'll put on my vehicles. You can choose from a wide variety of fabrics, styles, colors, and more. From full cover designs for factory to custom-made vehicles, plus convertible top covers, trucks, truck cab coolers, motorcycles, scooters, ATVs, trailers, campers, personal watercraft, and a wide variety of custom features. Covercraft is the right choice. Learn more today at Covercraft.com and tell them Mark sent you. That's Covercraft.com. If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people, but what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy, too. Call 253-722-PLAN. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimble.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. Member, Finra Sipic. All right, John, we are back, and we're entering the last lap, and I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So here we go. Sure. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Keep your hands off. Would you share one of your personal habits you believe has helped contribute to your success over the years? You just got to get out and do things, you know. I mean, I moved to Argentina, didn't really know what I was getting into, but 
I think, you know, especially for young people trying to get into business and be successful, just uh, don't be afraid to kind of be a cowboy about it. Yeah, get out and do it. Well, those are uh, wise words from a guy who's jumped in a Type 35 and driven 4,500 miles. So <laughs> definitely daring for sure. Now about resources, there's lots of great resources out there, but is there one in particular you'd like to share? Boy, resources. I, I don't know how broad the, of an answer you want. I'll say that I don't use a lot of third-party resources other than certain people that I use for um, things like customs brokering mm. or uh, insurance providers for old cars. Mm-hmm. I, I will say that one of my favorite things is, um, is is kind of funny as it may sound, but it'll give you an insight to, to what I do with my time uh, when I've got free time. Is I really like Lucas oil products, yeah. and I use Lucas synthetic oil in all my old cars. And I've, you know, doing a lot of really long distance trips. Believe me, I've had the the opportunity to test out the the durability of a lot of different oils. And, you know, there's nothing worse than feeling like you need to do an oil change every day when you're already tired because you're doing something like a cross-country trip. So through trial and error, um, Lucas has, has been uh, the product that I that I use, and I, I very much like it. So I don't know if that's the kind of answer that you were, that you were looking for. but and That's a great one. I've actually been trying to get Forrest Lucas uh, to be a guest on the show here. He's agreed to it. We just haven't been able to connect quite yet. But, uh, yeah, great products. I mean, wonderful products, very, very high quality. So very familiar with that line of uh, yeah. oils and additives and lubricants and things like that. Now, if you could have a drink with anyone in the automotive field, living or deceased, who would it be? Living or deceased, that really makes it a tough call. (laughs) I know. Oh, gosh. Um, I'd say Achilles Varzi, driver. Yeah. Okay. That's a first here. I just started asking that question, and I've gotten a lot of what I would say kind of common answers, Carol Shelby, Henry Ford, uh, Enzo Ferrari. But what is it about that driver that you'd love to sit down and have a drink with him? You know, the history is so fascinating. I mean, I love all the drivers from that era. I'm really fascinated by their life stories. You know, Helen Nice and Tatsu Nuvolari. Varzi was a guy that set some amazing records. And it was in the context also of a very complex personal life. But there was such a genius about the guy that the obituary that was written about him actually referred to this as, you know, it's it's as if when an artist gets to the point that they have so mastered a certain skill, they get so close to it that, you know, the divine nature can allow them to keep going. So, you know, you have, you know, the famous composers that, that lose their hearing. You've got the artists who lose their sight. And in Varzi's case, you know, he lost his life driving because it's like he had become such a master of what he was doing mm-hmm. that he had outlived his usefulness in this mere mortal life. And it's, it's kind of, you know, it sounds esoteric and everything, but, you know, reading his life story and everything about him, he is one of those fascinating characters. And he went to Argentina for a while towards the end of his career also. And so there's that connection that's interesting to me personally, because of my own connection to Argentina. Mm-hmm. He mentored a very young, then uh, inexperienced Fangio and sort of helped Fangio rise to, to stardom in his own right. So, um, yeah, I, I think he, he really stands out is a fascinating guy to me. I think it would be. Yeah, very much so. Very nice. Now about a book. Is there a book you've read that you think our listeners would really enjoy reading? Gosh, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, you know, as far as books about, um, about old cars, I, boy, I don't know. I, I read technical books about cars most of the time, to tell you the truth. And the kinds of books that I really love are like, you know, Simon Moore's Alpha books on the two nines and oh, the two yeah. threes and, um, you yeah. know, all the, the various books about Bugattis. 
Well, listeners, I'll remind you, you can find links to all these great resources on John's show notes page at carsyeah.com slash John Bothwell. All right, John, we are up to the checkered flag, and this last question can be a real doozy. I'm real interested to hear how you answer this one. If you could have only one very cool collector car in your garage, uh, but this isn't something you can uh, get from me and then sell and buy a bunch of other toys with. So you got to keep it and drive it, enjoy it. I know you love to drive your cars. And I'll tell you what, let's take the Model T that's in your family off the table here because I don't want to make you get rid of that car, okay? So we'll just pretend that that doesn't exist, but it's in the back of your garage. But money's no object. I'm going to buy you anything in the world. What would it be and why? Wow. Boy, I mean, you're asking a kid who just walked into a candy store <laughs> to pick out one thing. I, I mean, know. Like... I'm, a, I'm a mean guy. <laughs> you are a mean guy. I'm sorry. Um, I think... I would probably, I mean, gosh, there's just so many cars I'd love to play with, you know, and, and, and old Mercer and old Packard, Duesenbergs. But if there was one car, I would probably take the Vanderbilt Cup Stanley Steamer Racer. Oh, okay. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Now, you talked a little bit about having a passion for steam cars, but what is it about that particular car that just tugs on your heart? Well, I love Stanleys, first of all. And that particular car is, I mean, it's the fastest of them that was ever built. And uh, it looks like a lot of fun to drive. Jay Leno's got one. And, um, you know, I've seen it up close and I've seen him drive it. It looks like a ball. <laughs> uh, yeah, that thing's a monster, too. It's just amazing, amazing car. So, wow. Well, I would love to get you one of those. I think you'd have a lot of fun driving that around Southern California. Certainly would command some attention, I think. I, I think so. And, you know, look, I mean, it's tempting to say I want the 2.9 Alpha or I want the, you know, the Tavo Lago teardrop. I mean, you can you can go down the list of all the, the sort of blue chip cars. But, you know, if, if you want to know what I think really tugs on my heartstring, it's I, I love brass cars and I love steam cars. So I'd be very happy with that. I think you'd be great. That would be great to have that in your garage. Well, John, you have taken me on a great ride today. I've really enjoyed learning more about you and Persang. And I want to thank you for sharing your automotive journey with the Cars Yeah listeners. Could you offer us one parting piece of guidance before you head off into the sunset in that Stanley steamer? Well, I think that when it comes to old cars in general, you can never pay too much. You can only buy too early. And so life is short. Buy a car, have some fun, go on adventures, use them for their intended purpose, and don't look back. Absolutely. And what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and the company? Well, we have some really active social media pages that are updated on an almost daily basis with what we're doing and where we are and what current projects are. They're really, really great ways to see sort of up-to-date current live feeds on things. Uh Uh, So both Instagram and Facebook, if you look for Persang Argentina, those are uh, great ways to reach us. And in turn, you can send private messages if you need to reach me. uh, And and I'll be happy to get right back to you. We additionally, you know, are constantly doing editorial type of stuff with different publications and, and different networks. And so doing regular Google searches for Persang Argentina is going to also bring up constantly changing results. Do you guys have a website as well? PersangArgentina.com, which I will warn everybody is very Spartan and it's, it's intentionally sort of, uh, sort of uh, blank because of the fact that we like to you know, engage people one on one, be a little old fashioned about things and uh, you know, feel free to follow what we're doing and check out photos on social media and beyond that if uh you know people have information requests, I I just always like to have the opportunity to speak with them directly. Absolutely. Now the factory is down in Argentina, but you also work out of the United States. I know you're in California today. 
Yes, we have our uh, global business headquarters in Southern California. So we have a showroom here. We have our offices. And um, I actually moved my office from our factory in Argentina after about 10 years to uh, this new location in Southern California because it's a heck of a lot easier for people to access us here than in uh, Paraná. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Absolutely. And can people stop by your facility there or do they need to contact you first? People are welcome here on an appointment basis. So okay. yes, if, if if we're contacted, we'd be happy to set up a time to welcome people here. Great. Absolutely. Well, listeners, again, you can find links to everything John has been so kind to share on his show notes page at carsyeah.com. Just type John Bothwell into the search bar. That page will pop up. John, thanks for being so generous today with your time and expertise and for sharing your automotive journey through life with the Cars Yeah listeners and me. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. That sounds great, Mark. Well, I appreciate your time, and it's been fantastic to be on your podcast. Pleasure's been all mine. Thank you. Are you looking for a way to get your products or services into the ears of thousands of automotive enthusiasts around the globe? I can help. This is Mark Green here at Cars Yeah, and I'd be honored to be an influencer and ambassador for your brand in a unique and personal way. Five days a week, Thousands of subscribers and listeners enjoy the Cars Yeah! podcast and website. Contact me today and I'll show you how at mark at carsyeah.com or connect with me through the Cars Yeah! website at carsyeah.com. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to carsyeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!